On the second day of Christmas, Steve Borthwick gave to me too much tension and a last second Tigers victory. Yes, it's the Rolling Ball, the Lesser Tigers fans podcast that is feeling extremely festive despite laying a Yule log or two during the last five minutes of the Boxing Day encounter against Bristol at Ashton Gate. And of course, we'll be reviewing that match in full, looking ahead to the New Year's Day fixture against Falcons and announcing the number 13 entry in Elliot's Colts Corner. Elliot, mate, you're back. How was Vegas? How was Christmas? And how the hell was that intro? Hello, mate. Well, first of all, that intro is absolutely sensational. I think that's the best one yet. I mean, you've done quite a few Big now. So you, mate, you've done a few, but I reckon that's up there. No, I reckon that's up there. So that, that's good. That's good for me. That's strong, strong intro. You're starting to see the real reason I set up this podcast is to get noticed for my frankly angelic voice, mate. You, you are the Alan Jones of the uh, of this podcast uh, creation. <laughs> it's just, just a pure the, angel, mate. Just no, no high notes, please. How was Vegas, though, mate? How was it? Uh, it was very, very good. I, have you uh, earned this podcast some money? I can't say I have. I mean, I'm coming back. My gambling form was uh, was particularly poor. Um, so th- there was no no success there. But yeah, Vegas is incredible. Um, Grand Canyon, that was great. Got married again out in Vegas with Elvis. Yeah, out with Elvis. So that was amazing. Cool. Um, yeah, it was mate, sensational trip. Really good fun. And then uh, came back, got back late on Boxing, uh, late on Christmas Eve, and uh, I've conceded to uh, eat my way uh, through to uh, to eventual gout. So uh, it's been good, mate. Really enjoyed it. How's, how's yours been, mate? Good. Well, we drove up from uh, Bristol to Leicester because my wife was working Christmas Eve. We did it Christmas Eve afternoon. And it wasn't that bad a drive, apart from one bit on the M5 where the traffic was dreadful. And they said it was because someone had broken down in the middle of the road. And I was getting all annoyed because we'd been sort of held up for half an hour, nearly stationary traffic. And then I felt bad about being annoyed because the vehicle that had broken down was a rail replacement bus service. <laughs> so the poor bastards who were on that had had a train cancelled, got on a bus that had then broken down in the middle of the M5. So on Christmas were, Eve, that is Christmas not what you're Eve, wanting. If you were on that, you have my massive sympathy and I stopped moaning after that. But yeah, uh, very nice. Uh, made a pretty, if I do say so myself, and I do say so myself, a pretty impressive batch of mince, mince pies this year, doused in Disarono. That's the secret that I'm revealing to people, and that was uh, that was pretty good. As I bemoaned last year, a disappointing lack of presence for me. Now I've got a son. Apparently, all the attention is on is on my kid. So no pants and socks. I've had to buy my own. Uh, but I did get the Lesser Tigers away shirt, which I obviously wore ah. with great pride uh, yesterday, which was obviously matching what we were wearing. So it was fantastic. Now, have you got anyone that you want to say hello to at all? I think we've got a, a couple of people. I think Jonathan Pugh is uh, um, someone we want to shout out uh, for myself. I think you've got a couple as well to uh, give shout outs to. Yeah, definitely. So Jonathan, for raising the good point, and we'll come on to you later, that BT Sport failed to film Pat Lamb's reaction to the end of the game, instead concentrating on the happy Steve Borthwick face. We don't want that. We want to see Pat Lamb's face scrunching up like a paper bag. We want tears. We want man tears. Absolutely. Uh, so poor form on that. But uh, also thanks again to uh, Jake Firth for more powerful gift work. He really is sort of, he's giving Leicester Tigers memes a good run for their money, I think. Well, he's he's in charge of the gifts. Then obviously the memes guys are in charge of the memes. So you've got every base of social media content covered there. So well done, Jake. Keep it up, mate. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has rated and subscribed on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Please continue to do so or make sure you do if you haven't done this already. If you want to get in touch or say hello, 
Uh, please get in touch on Twitter with the handle at Rolling Mall Pod or email us at the Rolling Mall at Outlook.com. Okay, on with the pod and into the news section, which I think Tiger Talk is still the leading contender for the name of this. I had something thrown at me on Twitter saying the Welford Wag. But so I'm not entirely <laughs> sure about that yet. I mean, it might just be that we have to stick with Tiger Talk, but maybe I pre-record me roaring it down the microphone or something. Uh, what about Crumby Chat? Have I suggested that one? I can't remember yeah, if I have. I think that there was sort of, maybe there was a, an, was a podcast a long else? time ago like that was called Crumby Chat. I might be wrong, but either way, it's a, that's a solid name. But look, let's get into the news. And slightly pooing all over our festive feelings is this news that's just been like squirreled away in the rugby paper in a paragraph saying that there is a club in the top six that isn't Saracens that is being investigated for salary cap breaches now or a salary cap breach I don't think it used the plural now if I look at the squad makeups of the teams in the top six and I can't say this with any certainty and this is me doing some very finger to the wind high level mathematics on squad sizes and players I think it could probably really only be Exeter us maybe Harlequins possibly Harlequins but I suspect it I'm leaning towards Exeter or ourselves and apparently the CEO is being grilled personally that last bit on it leads me more towards Exeter purely because we know Tony Rowe is a CEO he is involved in a lot of the sponsorship deals and a lot of the investment in the club through his various other businesses. And the capacity for him to have a personal involvement in this is much greater. So that would be my hunch. But again, I've got no idea. And to be fair, he's only reported in the rugby paper, so we don't know how accurate it is. We don't know if they've launched a formal investigation or if they're just asking some questions. Can you just confirm what you've done with this or that? And it might be absolutely nothing. But it does put the willies up me a little bit, Elliot. What about you? Yeah, it's it's a weird one because we are implied by our positioning and obviously we are now implicated through that. So it does obviously put the mockers on it. Like you, it's a strange one to know how to judge it because it might just be... Investigations can be a range of things from asking a few simple questions to clarify all the way up to, right, let's see the books and let's have a look at what you've been up to. I think given um, the history with what went on at Saracens, Given there's been um, a lot of changes around with the salary cap reductions, we've had COVID and all the different things that have come in. I think it's only natural that the, the powers that be are, gonna, are probably going to be, you know, probably a bit more cautious over this. And they probably are going to be a bit sharper at testing the clubs and making sure everyone is OK, because I don't think they would want another breach so soon after what happened with Saracen. So I think it's only natural that they are going to investigate and be a lot tighter on it. Um, it is slightly nerve-wracking. However, I'm fairly confident at Tigers would, I would be under the line um, because I don't think we would be that stupid. Having, you know, we've been around the blocks and I think we're pretty tight on these sorts of things. Um, and like you said, if you look at the makeups of the squad in the other sort of top six, I think, I think they're more... Um, there are other candidates that we can point the finger at, but it, but it might be. But it is certainly... Um, Slightly nerve-wracking, it's got to be honest. Oh, absolutely. You have to remember as well, my 
dad is very keen to point this out all the time that we are a plc which means we're independently audited and that our books in theory are open for everyone to peer through so we have a huge amount of extra governance that would effectively prevent any shenanigans or dodgy goings on or sort of gratuitous you know ex gratia payments that are going to be made by anybody else so i think that puts us in a better position i think you're right after what's happened with saracens i can't see any club doing nefarious breaches of the salary cap anymore because eventually it will get outed other clubs will report you other clubs will have a whinge and that will set up a huge painful investigation and potentially a disastrous relegation which you know given the financial situation of clubs now could be the end of a club to be quite frank no, yeah, what, what i can see is a much greater scope for technical or accidental breaches that are created either by all of a sudden clubs having to force 75% or 75% reduction so 25% reductions on all their players as happened across the board or indeed actually as you say the fact that we've got now a salary cap reduction coming in place and people are reallocating and reorganizing and recalibrating their squads so i think there is more potential for accidental and temporary breach but i think there is less interest now in trying to exploit the rules deliberately if that makes sense so hopefully whoever it is obviously particularly if it's tigers well i hope it's not tigers at all but whoever it is i really hope obviously it's just a technical oversight and rather than anything more nefarious although that would be quite ironic and darkly funny if it was exeter no i quite agree and and to be fair you've made this point before is that when it comes to salary cap there is a lot of scope for accidental um technical errors to come in because there's so many rules you know it's a, it's a very complicated system like you've said before it's an overcomplicated system it could be made a lot simpler wasps got themselves in a bit of um bit of trouble a few years ago again on a bit of a, a technicality miscalculation and accidentally ended up over the salary cap for one week and I, you know there was a couple of reasons that went in behind it but it's not anything um dark and dangerous it was purely a, a bit of a accounting error that that, that, that took them over and I think you know they took on a small fine and I think everyone realised it was just a, an error more than anything and you know these things do happen every club goes right up to the max of the, the salary cap and it doesn't leave much room for error and for human error if you get it wrong because you know there's so many different rules it's very easily done so I'd imagine if there is a sort of cock up here like you've said given how many rules that there are and how complicated the system is it's more down to uh, to that more than anything Make sure you've got a good calculator. None of this back of beer mat, long addition and multiplication and division. <laughs> that has probably led to whatever cock-ups have taken place. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And obviously, we'll let you know anything as soon as we hear anything. But uh, fingers crossed, it's not going to be something to cast a cloud on what is turning out to be an excellent season. Right, on to much more cheerful stuff. And I'm going to, of course, go back to the Boxing Day win over Bristol at Ashton Gate. Specifically, victory over the dark forces of Pat Lamb. Good wins all. Apart from the fact that my pants were pretty well browed by the end of that, it was fucking stressful at the end. Elliot, I've got a confession. Go on, talk to me. I was watching it with my dad. Well, that's not, that's not the heinous crime. Uh, no, but what follows is when Harry Wells knocked on trying a pick and go from the rocket his own twenty, which we'll we'll come to that, I'm sure. We turned it off. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like my dad said, I can't bear to see that twat's face. 
face. <laughs> and I was in agreement with him. And I went and talked to him. Luckily, my son had done a big poo at that time. So I was going to change his nappy. And then my mate texted me saying, holy S-H-I-T. And I sort of quickly put his nappy back on. Not not the same nappy back on. I had changed him. I'm not that negligent parent. Ran downstairs and I said to my dad, I think something might have happened. And luckily, because we had it recorded, we were able to just go and re-watch it. And, uh, and we still enjoyed it very much like it was live. But if you're talking about somebody who can get called out for the virtual equivalent of walking out of the stadium early, I'm afraid that's me and my dad. Yeah, you're outside at the burger van outside when the crowd goes and you're having to run back in to try and see what's happened <laughs> yeah you- mustard all over my face <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely disgrace trying to join in the cheers like i was there when it was happened that's basically me and um, how oh. embarrassing is that but elliot how good was that how incredible a finish was that <laughs> that is honestly one of the most incredible bits of rugby you'll see um i thought we were dead and buried to be honest um weirdly I felt we ended up being more dead and buried as the game, as the second half progressed. I thought, you know what, Phil Sanford, who is a friend of the show, um, tweeted me during the game saying it's not our afternoon. And funny enough, that's how, that's, as the get, second half wore on, I thought that was effectively going to happen. would fall short, not for any lack of effort, but there's so many different errors and unforced mistakes and all those different things. We just weren't at the races at all. It, it, these things happen. And I thought, you know, we'd have to come and do the pod. And my reaction was very much what Phil had said just wasn't our afternoon, we move on. I think particularly that last quarter, they seemed to dominate territory for the first time in the game. And I have to say, up until that last five minutes in injury time, you'd say fair play to them. They're seeing out this game pretty well. And when we went down to 14, they used it well. But then it all went tits up for them delightfully. Absolutely. And it's... It's weird that for most of that last 20 minutes, they were seeing the game up until the last couple of minutes. Well, they had a bit of a horror show. You know, they gave the penalty penalty away, which allowed us to boot the ball up the pitch. Then there was oh, Tommy Rafael again, oh, big bad Tommy. And we talk about Tommy Rafael and turnovers, and again, it's not how many he gets; it's when he gets them. Oh, are we on our own line? Do I need a game changing turnover? Oh, fine, I'll get one for you, lads. But you know, <laughs> some of you better start sticking your head in here from now on because I'm bored of doing it all myself. Absolutely incredible! Again, it is. It is. It is brilliant. It's weird because I don't. It's a I thought it was a weird game because I don't think either team played particularly well. No. And I think both teams will come away from that thinking we could have done a hell of a lot better. What I found brilliant about the last three minutes or so is because all game, our attacking play had been almost non-existent. We just couldn't string any passes together. Our phase play was was poor. We had errors. We were shoddy. We were, weren't on our detail like we normally are. And Bristol and their defence had been really good. They'd pressured us. They'd forced a lot of those mistakes as well, and they'd been up quickly yeah. in, in the line. And for those last three minutes, it was almost like the previous 80 hadn't happened, where they were quite they were quite lethargic in their defence. They weren't coming off. And obviously, they didn't want to push you offside. Well, they, 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 were, they were consistently before, before that every phase they were coming up hard. On this, yeah. occasionally, they'd stay static. And that's a sign, obviously, of a defence getting stretched and tired, isn't yeah. it? And we, we went through the phases, we tested them, we came out wide, we went back. And George Ford, the orchestra, literally the orchestra master, just, just, just dictating play and was seeing angles and probing. And it was brilliant patience just to stay in like that and just work our way from left to right and just pick our moments at the right time. And I have to say this, unbelievable work from Nephi, because you'll never, this will go unnoticed, I think, because it's not a headline thing. But that crucial carry that he does, it's not a headline carry, 
he sucks in three defenders. If you watch yeah. it back, it's not a big carry. It's not it's not a headline one. But he takes out three defenders and they suck in. And it allows Ford the space to come round, to loop round. And he recycles and, it quickly as well. He makes yeah, sure his focus is on the pre- presentation is really good. I mean, look, let's... Let's make it clear at this point. We're going to do something different this pod. We're starting, as you can probably tell, where all good stories start at the very end. It's a good ending, though. <laughs> it is a good end. And then we'll sort of pick up bits that happened earlier on in the game as we go. So let's go and t- chat a little bit about George Ford because you picked up on it there. He was the orchestrator of it all. And for the first time in the game, I actually felt he was properly in control of the attack. We hadn't been particularly smooth. Some of that was Bristol defence that came up at a higher speed than I think we expected. And we looked lethargic, I thought, to be honest, even from the off when we dominated territory. I thought we looked a little bit slow, a bit laboured, a bit predictable, which we haven't done for a long time this season, or we haven't done at all this season, but we have done in previous years. So that was a bit of a concern. But in that moment of time, that last three minutes, we saw Ford picking his runners, picking his options, screaming at everyone, telling them where they needed to be because he's thinking three, four phases apart. And what was interesting was they kept going back to that right wing. They identified that that was where they were going to make their head. where the action was going to be. It's where the action was going to be. What was interesting, Guy Porter had three touches. He was technically coming on as a left winger. And he got all his three touches on the right-hand side, which I think he did, according to his interview, just to wind up Harry Potter so he could basically... Also, blindside flanker. He started off in the scrum. He's on the opposite corner of the pitch as a blindside flanker. But all of the big inroads we made, really, apart from Martin off the base, who had a hell of a carry off the base at eight. King George. King George. But we had then Guy Porter on the right-hand side made two really big incursions in. The first got us into the 22, about five, 10 metres in. The second got us about 10 metres out. And then obviously the third one, hip, hip, hooray. Nice, sensible ball in two hands. No Cradle swan dive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally, you could not wrestle that ball out of his hands if you had a million years of trying. So it was absolutely fantastic to see Ford probing that. But does it make you nervous then as well about how important he is to us, how hard he is going to be to replace? Yeah, it, it, it obviously is because it, it, that passage of play is George Ford at his very best. And like you say, he's orchestrating the whole the whole thing. So obviously, we, as we've discussed before, we are obviously going to, to, to miss that. No, we're getting Pollard. He's a world-class fly half. We, we, we may gain in other areas. We might lose out in others. Overall, we're still replacing a world-class 10 with a world-class 10. So... You know, it, it, it is what it is. And we may, I say this having not lost a game yet this season, but, you know, we may lose games this season where Ford can't do something but Pollard can do. Whereas we may lose games in next season where Pollard can't do something that Ford does. So we are always going to have this sort of situation. But, you know, whilst we have Ford at our disposal, that was just a joy to watch. And it is a brilliant set of play that yeah. puts Porter away down the right-hand side. And we... Tigers get a bit of stick for boring rugby and not having any skills and, you know, it's just forward, forward stuff. That was brilliant because if you look at it again, the pop pass to draw in the defence and to get Stewart away is brilliant because it's not just Stewart that takes it on, he gets a bit of a break. Stewart then pops a nice little offload up to Dolly. That's really good at speed like that. And then a hooker at the start of our season, a fourth choice hooker, takes the ball at speed, draws the man, pops up, Pops it over to our winger. It goes into the corner. And you think perfect spin pass as well. It, it was, it, 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 yeah. 
it wasn't just lobbed up in the air, hopefully, like <laughs> I've been known to do, but it was absolutely fizzed off his left into Guy Porter's hands. He didn't have to break stride. And like you say, there was so much that was good about that single phase because you had Ford spotting it and coming around late. And then Stewart does this a lot now with Ford. He arcs late. So he effectively almost hides or behind Ford as much as a guy who's six foot four can hide behind a man who's five <laughs> foot two. But he, he effectively sits behind Ford or even on his inside and then arcs late. And that's what he did here because it effectively creates an extra man that Bristol hadn't planned for. He then is strong enough to get through that first tackle and draw into offload out. Then, like you say, Dolly, the, the timing of the pass is perfect. And Porter, what is great about him there is that he could easily have overrun that. He is quicker than Nick Dolly. You're excited because I want to get to that line as quick as I can. It's on. It's on. It is on. But he holds his line. He is so patient. He is really deep because he knows that. Therefore, there's no risk of a forward pass. If the pass is a little bit skew with, he can accelerate onto it and make play and still get the score. So it's just such intelligent play. And we'll go back to it again. If you're not in the Guy Porter fan club now, where the hell are you, mate? Sign up. Well, the prices have gone up now. I mean, the entry level a few weeks ago would have been a lower price. I mean, we're going to have to set a higher price now because, again, it's just the guy is just awesome, literally. It's just a quality signing. As I said before, if you talk about the turnaround of fortune at the club, obviously Steve Borthwick sets the standard. And Porter and Potter, to be fair, I think were Murphy signings, I think. But they've come in with the attitude that every player can, I think, be inspired by. Because they've come in wanting to make a name for themselves, worked fucking hard, clearly. And they are versatile. They never complain if they're asked to play whatever position. And they're reaping the rewards. I mean, I would not be surprised to see either of them get a little half side-eye glance from Eddie Jones at some point because they are both playing that well. And that might sound a little bit hyperbole. But if you look at what they do, whenever they play, they play bloody well against very good players and they never look out of place. So I think they were both fantastic. Brady Stewart, of course, made that first break. I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch again. I thought his top three performance for Tigers utterly imperious again under the Bible. Oh, I, I, I agree. It, it's What you get with Freddie is just pure consistency and it's just a high level of performance each week where he just every time the ball goes to him, you're never, ever worried because you know he's going to deal with it. Or if he, even if it, it, you know, even if he comes under pressure, he can cope with the pressure and deal with it. And we're starting to see it a bit more now in attack where it's not just his defensive skills and in the air that He's, he's becoming known for. Like you've just said there with the try, it's his attacking game that's starting to come through as well. And he's, you know, it's his little bits and little extras he's adding to his game. It's making his inte- game intelligence as well. Yeah, he's a really intelligent player. And I think, to be fair, if you're playing alongside Fords as often as he is, you're going to pick up some game intelligence from that. So his all-round game now is a, is a, is, is a, a really high level. So yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was brilliant, um, to be fair. And I, I'm glad he got involved in the offload there because, it, again, it just showcases his, um, his other side of his game. Yeah, awareness and skill for that, absolutely. Now, it wouldn't be, as we now know it, a Bristol versus Tigers game without there being a dollop of controversy. <laughs> and there has been some complaint from Bristol fans. They're that, a bit whiny about it, aren't they? Well, <laughs> I've got to put my neutral hat on. And having spoken to Pete... The Bears Beyond the Gate podcast, lovely guy, 
passionate Bristol fan, knows his onions. He, I suspect, would be spitting feathers at that. And I have to admit, I think if I was in their shoes, I'd be annoyed at that not being given. Nick Dolly is potentially at one point blocking a tackle on Joe Hayes. Joe Hayes is sort of drifting across. Nick Dolly's running a dummy line, isn't he? And effectively, Joe Hayes decides not to give it until Dolly gets in the way for a split second of a tackle, but the tackle yeah, gets made. It's timing, wasn't it? It was timing issue, yeah. It's the kind of thing I suspect if it wasn't in the last play of the game when the refs really rain back. If you look at any yeah, top-level ref, they, they really rain back on what they give because they don't want to give anything unless it is utterly blatant. Now, I know some Bristol fans will think that is utterly blatant, but perhaps Foley's mentality is, well, the tackle was made. Personally, I think that if I was a Bristol fan, I'd have been annoyed that wasn't given. What do you think? Did you think it was crossing? I'm obviously biased. The tackle did get made. And, um, you know, I find it hard to make it that much of an obstruction if the tackle still gets made. And there's no, you know, if he cuts through the line, then, yeah, then clearly it's an obstruction that stopped him from making the tackle. If you watch it again, and Carrick Blake, who's a very good statistician on Twitter, and I do recommend you follow him because he's a very good stats guy, made also made a very good point. Is actually... Before the blocking actually happens, the Bristol guy's got his hand on to make the tackle. It's only because he decides not to make the tackle. The blocking then happens, and then he still makes the tackle anyway. He could have made the tackle first up. He just decides not to. Then there's a, the blocking as such. You're right. Technically, if you look at it, it looks it looks potentially like it is blocking. And I get that. And if it did happen to me and to, in a, a similar sort of context to Gabe, and we can see the last minute, try that lost us the game yeah I'd probably be pretty filthy about it but at the same time Bristol are notorious when they play their attacking to have a lot of dummy runners and there is a lot of blocking that goes on I do think it's that sort of offence where if you start pinging it for that you're going to be pinging it an awful lot because I do think it's on the softer side of what it is and you are going to have a very stop-start game if you start pinging stuff if that's replicated across the pitch you do end up in a very stop-start game because ultimately the tackle got made. It's hard to make the case for being an obstruction. If the tackle does get made, there's no advantage that's gained from it. It's a very, very slight obstruction for a millisecond. We don't want to descend into the game of stop-start. And, you know, we potentially at times already in rugby have a lot of referees that are pretty nitpicky on stuff and the game doesn't flow. I think you've got to be careful about screaming for that as be careful what you wish for would be my sort of message to that. Yeah, I mean, I would still probably say, like you, I'd be pretty filthy if that had happened to us. But at the same time, I think there's a difference between saying that was a crap call, but then trying to blame your loss on the ref, which I've seen some people do. Perhaps what I would be looking at if I was a Bristol fan is, A, why on earth you would let Tommy Raffel get a free shot at your, your ball when you're in our and around our own 22 with less than 30 seconds on the clock. Two, why your million-pound man, Charles Piertau, who, by the way, was bottled up and looked bang average, I thought, most of the yeah. game, why he strains so hard to try and keep the ball and flicks it forward. Fair play to Callum Sheedy, by the way, because he oh, would have gone for that. And he was so aware that he stayed back because he knew that an attacking penalty, just to, even if the clock was in red, would still give us uh, a, a, penalty, a, shot a shot of goal to draw it. So fair play to Sheedy. But I thought that was really... Well, I say brainless. I understand what he's trying to do, but it wasn't well thought out, wasn't well executed by Pietel. And finally, the big one, they've got an extra man at this point, and yet we outflank them. 
And we outflanked them a couple of times to get into that position as well. If you've got 15 men on a pitch, you should not be outflanked by a team with 14, particularly in your own 22, where you're not having to worry about, you know, the long kicks for territory or kicks for touch, where you might be dropping an extra man back to cover the long raking kick to touch. They should not be being outflanked. And in fact, actually, we were only attacking one flank, which was that right-hand side as we were attacking. And yet they still spread their defence across the field, which I found really bizarre. That, to me, above all else, individual errors, what you might talk about, was the main reason that they lost at the end was because they didn't adapt to how we were playing, which was still playing to a touchline, but still with quite a narrow game plan because of the fact we were down to 14. And they didn't really adapt to that. They still played as if we had 15 on the pitch and we were trying to go from touchline to touchline. So, you know, I, I think that, yes, you can be annoyed about that decision, but no, you can't blame the ref for that. I've sort of seen some other comments about Farley as a ref and, yeah, look, he's not... He's not one of, he's not he's, one of the best in the league. He's he? not one of the best in the league. To be fair, he's not one of the worst because you've got guys like Dixon and Tempest. But I, you've got at the, the top, the patch, I, I tend to think you've got, obviously, Pierce and Barnes then a bit of a drop-off to Carly, and then a bit of a drop-off, I'd say. I think Ridley's okay. I think he's got potential, Ridley has. And then I think then you've got a big drop-off, I think, to Foley, and then underneath him, you've got a load of others. Yeah, I get that. I mean, Foley's one of those refs where, you know, at times it can be fairly psychedelic in his his calling. He was okay, I think, as a guy. I gave him a bit of stick on Twitter, but looking back in hindsight, I think there was a couple of calls I, I... I was a bit harsh on him. The one thing I would say is that uh, Harry Randall is a superb scrum half and he's probably a, a world-class one as well. I think he's fantastic. Certainly he's playing good. the ball loose. I think that the BT Sport guys eulogised him a bit too much in terms of he also kicked out two box kicks on the full and kicked a number of box kicks too short. Yeah, But his play with the ball in hand is electric. His sidestep is something else. Hell of a player to watch. But the one thing he does do is he takes stuff off the completely different mark from where the penalty is being given. And the referees do give him an absolute licence for it. And that's where I pulled Foley up on that. But yeah, and it, Foley's, like you used to say, I think your summary of that call, I think, is, is, is spot on. You can be annoyed with it. It's not the reason you lost. Let's sort of link to Foley, move on to what I would say was a critical battleground, which was the scrum, which was pretty interesting. You had Sinclair against Genge. And then on the other side, you had Thomas against Cole. And I thought Cole had Thomas on post, I've got to be honest. I thought it was a really interesting battle between Sinclair and Genge. They barely ever managed to get a scrum up and away. On the rare times that the scrum was actually set, there was only one team that was going forward, and that was us. Yes. But the engagement looked like a complete mess. And I have to say, Foley, actually, I don't envy him because it would be a horrible job. I was looking at various penalties we got, and I thought, I think we're a bit lucky there. And I saw a couple they got, and I thought, what on earth is he looking at there? That's clearly Sinclair with his belly on the ground before we've even engaged. So I thought that was a real toss of the coin, to be honest. I think Genji even said to him, look, you're just evening it up now to him at one point, which is a bit close to the bone. But it was a real toss of the coin. I thought once we did get a scrum going, we looked pretty dominant. And then it it actually played to our disadvantage for their try, uh, their second score, wasn't it? Which Radrandra and Brandle set up. I think Lloyd scored it, didn't he? Yes. And it was where effectively the ball had come in, there wasn't a hook straight away, and then we just ploughed straight through them, and they did us for no hook. Now, I've just watched the excellent 
Harlequins Northampton game. I can tell you, if you can spot a hook in that game, then, They're not then you're a, they you've got better eyesight than me. I, I have never seen that given before. And if you're going to pick up on that, then you're going to do everything. But look, whatever, he, he gives it. And then Randall, like you say, the point where he should be taking the free kick is by the back foot of the scrum from his side. And instead he takes it from probably our side of the tunnel, I would say at best, and he gets pulled back. So, you know, look, if you're going to talk about bad decisions, they go both ways. What I will say is that was superb acceleration. And, you know, talk about Rondrona there, he takes out Stewart and Youngs with good bit of strength, good bit of step. I think Stewart and Youngs will probably be a little bit annoyed they didn't communicate a bit better at that. I think they... Yes. They they didn't really talk about who was going to take him. Perhaps they're on the back foot. It's been a quick tap. It's all a bit scrambly. So I'm not going to be too harsh. But I think that was perhaps a little bit disappointing. But it's a fine finish nonetheless. Yeah, it's a, it was. It's, it's one of those tries where I think Kev will probably be just sort of saying about communication now when he looks it back. I think there's a the question would be asked, what can we do differently? And I think both of them would say we probably should have communicated better about that situation and have a bit more awareness. The, the, the scrum was an interesting one because Cole's side, because he had so much dominance over Thomas, there was no ever any reason for the referee to be on that side of the scrum. But he just had Thomas in his pocket. So therefore, there's no reason for the referee to go check over there. because it would, And it allowed, actually, Genge the platform to, to attack Sinclair because he knew Cole was solid over the other side. I think Genge had the better in that day. I think we had their scrum on toast, if I'm being honest, because... You know, fair enough, we did get pulled for, for no hooking. But I would suggest it's rather hard to hook when you're literally sprinting all the way through the, the opposition scrum at, at speed. <laughs> I mean, hooking would be the least of my priorities if I was in the middle of middle of that when you're absolutely... Staying on my feet without, you know, the second row and our South African back row ploughing over the top. Yeah, when you're ploughing forward at a fair old speed, hooking is a, is a very much secondary in my priorities. I thought for the first time... Um, this season we actually had scrum time dominance and I think um it's a testament to the to the to the work we've been doing over the season it's actually it shows you what Genji's got because we talk about Genji in the sort of his ball carrying and his leadership we don't normally talk about his scrummaging that often but I thought his scrummaging on um on Boxing Day was brilliant and I, I I think he had he was the dominant um one over uh Sinclair and I do think some of the penalty counting from from Foley was guessing, and it did allow for the penalty count on the head-to-head to be a lot tighter than I think the actual reality on the ground was, because I do think Genge was was much superior than 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 him there. It did feel that when a scrum did get set, we were the ones who were applying all the pressure and moving forward, and that's generally a good indicator about which team is on top. Yeah, Sinclair is a world-class tight end; he's a great, great player, and Genge is a very good scrummer. He's an underrated scrummer. I agree. I thought he had the edge. I don't know if he was dominant against Sinclair, but I thought he definitely had the edge. Whilst Cole was really working over Thomas, to be honest. But for me, end result: Dan Cole, best tight head in England. No doubt. He, he did a, Did you see him? He did a covering tackle on Piertau at one point. Yes. I mean, it, it adds to the collection of classic Dan Cole tackles where... Dan Cole you know, cover tackles where he tackles someone far faster than him. Yeah, he has no theory. right to be making that tackle. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's talk about Genji for a second because obviously it's his first appearance against Bristol of all people since that video was released and he's named captain like I hoped he would be. And... My point was always that I thought the video was bad, but he apologised and we move on. And I suspect he may have even apologised to some of the players and said, look, you know, whether how much of that was in his hands about the timing of it, I don't know. And perhaps he didn't realise how bad it would look, but it's done. 
I think that any questions about his commitment to the side and Ford's, to be fair, have been put to bed. Would you agree? A hundred percent. I mean, the, the, the Genge thing, I do think, obviously I wasn't here last week to do the initial reaction to it. The video is ill-advised. And if you're, in hindsight, someone in and around Ellis should have said, look, you need to push back on this. This is not a good idea. Um, I understand. I think Ellis is a bit unlucky in this because you, you're caught in a no-win situation where you are Absolutely. captain of the club, yet you want to impress your new employers and their marketing department would have been all over him saying, we want to do this, we want to do that. You are caught in the crosshairs. Like he, like it, like it's always like it's come out of it. He probably didn't realise he has no control over the video. Ultimately, he has no control over when it gets announced. He has no control. He, he has control video. about being in the video. Yeah, but not when the video is announced or no. how it's going to be portrayed. So he has an element of control, but not that much. And like Steve said, you can't. You are exposed a little bit when it does come out like that. Like you said, it's not the world's best video. He probably would have been advised to say, "Look, no thanks, lads. We can do something else." But he was caught in a no-win situation, so I have sympathy for him. Like you said, he has apologised. I do think a lot of Tigers fans have made themselves very silly over um, some of the comments that have got made. But I'll strip him of his captaincy and nonsense. Yeah, like I mean, that. there's yeah. The, the, there's a lot of emotion. And I hope a lot of people do reflect on some of the comments that got put on online and Twitter and Facebook, and actually people look back and say, actually, in the heat of the moment, I retract it. That that was bad form because I do think there's a lot of silly comments to the game itself. I think we saw at the end that man is totally committed to our club. You know, there is, you, you can't hide in rugby. You know, there is no hiding place. It's not like football where you can sort of, you know, if you're not asked, you can go hide in a little bit and, you know, go off a boil rather quickly and see out your contract. Position that Genji plays. If he's not committed, he's going to get found out very quickly. I think we saw from his, his performance on the pitch how committed he was. And I think we saw his reaction to the, to the end and what it meant to him. You know, this man is a total... Uh, is totally committed. He's a tiger still. You know, there should be no doubt in him now. And I do hope any sort of silliness or any sort of resentment or bad feeling towards him is is put to bed because, yeah, you know, that's the epitome of a committed man for that for me. Yeah, I love the reaction at the end from all the players. There are, there are a couple of things to note there. Firstly, obviously, Genji smiling his face off, which was brilliant to see. Got the He's swagger out as well, didn't he? He got the swagger out when he came up to Cheshire. I like that. I like oh, he the, did. He got the swagger and also gave him the most aggressive hug <laughs> I've ever seen anyone. I mean, genuinely, that would be an absolute backbreaker for me. But Chesham, luckily, being the absolute brick shit out he is, no problem at all. Took it. Took it like a champ. Took it like a champ and delivered some back, I'm sure. But then you saw Visa. We'll come to him in a second. Almost looking like he had tears in his eyes because I suspect he was very relieved that he hadn't cost his side or arguably cost his side the game. Yep. And also, only on one shot do you see this. After Porter goes over, you see Ford seeing the fruits of his labours and he runs off and he fucking aeroplanes, <laughs> properly arms out, fingers pointing back to the bench to celebrate with the team. <laughs> and if, again, if you're talking about a man who, before now, a bit like Borthwick, has no emotion, showing that level of... Clinical. Excitement at the end of it. It's just brilliant to see. Also, a lovely moment actually between Sinfield and Genge where they had a very long hug. Sinfield whispering sweet nothings in his ear, or what I can only assume is effectively liquid inspiration being dropped into his ear hole. But whatever that is, that's that's fantastic. Good to see. I'd love to know what was being said, but I expect that's private between them, and quite rightly so. It's a lovely moment. I, uh, the other thing I'd like to have been in, involved in is the huddle on the pitch at the end. We you know when they do the sort of the team. 
debrief when they're sort of doing the messages. I yeah. think Genji was um, in rallying, doing the rallying call on that one. I'd love to have been a, a player involved in that one just to hear what was being said there. Because I think there was, after a win like that, I bet that was, in, I bet it was, that was an incredible huddle to be a part of. And I bet they were, I bet they were very noisy. And, and, and too right, they deserved it. I mean, you've got to be up after a win like that. So I do hope, but yeah, I'd love to have been in the middle of that. I think that would have been a, a good one to have, to have listened into. I mentioned it earlier, but Visa was pretty relieved. And yes. it was a strange one because that yellow card, I thought was so needless. I thought it probably was a yellow. I think I saw some people say Sheedy might have milked it. That's kind of the game these days. But Visa gave them an excuse to give him a yellow. And the only thing he needed to do to get away with doing whatever he did was either A, not do it, or B, put his hands up so that yep. he can show that he's charging the ball. Because by just cannoning into him, lumbering through him like that, it doesn't look like he's going for the ball, even if that's what his intention was. It looks like I'm going to go for it. I can't really be asked to stop if he's in my way and I don't care if I hurt him, which probably might have been his mentality. I thought it was stupid. And it's a shame because once he'd come on for Marco, I thought he was really good. Some of his carries out of the 22 off kickoffs were fucking brilliant. And I thought he was looking really sharp, really good. And then he does that. It's so frustrating sometimes, isn't he? You've took exactly what I'd have said. You know, that whole passage you said is exactly what I would have said as well. On balance, Five years ago, I don't think that is a yellow. I think you probably get away with that five, six years ago. Under the modern world, it's a bit daft. Do you know what I mean? It's it, like you say, put your hands up a bit more. It's not an issue. Because you could hear on the TMO, they were going through the mitigants of, has he gone to charge it down? They've gone, well, he's not got his hands up. So if he put his hands up, you'd probably have gone... Penalty at most. Yeah, penalty at most. You know, is it the world's worst crime in the world? No. Is it the world's most dangerous bit of play in the world? No. Is it a yellow? Yeah, it's daft. It's needless. And it's a shame because, like you said, because he's been brilliant for that 50 minutes that he'd been on the pitch. I thought he was back to his to his, to his sort of best there, really, where he was physical, but in the right way. Yeah. He's carrying well. He was getting us out of the, uh, the 22 at speed. It was getting us some momentum. And actually, you know, there's a couple of times where actually if... Ford hadn't kicked it. There's some overlaps that had been generated off the back of it where he'd gone charging up the field in such a pace. The Bristol defence, which had been organised all throughout the game, was actually at sixes and sevens and we'd actually got a bit of space to, to play with if we wanted to. Now, we didn't want to. But that's, that's fine. So that's the game plan. But, you know, it's, it was Visa that we all love and know where he takes the ball and he's, he's carrying and doing it. So it's a shame because, you know, a, a few people are questioning now because that's his third yellow card in, you know, six, seven weeks. So he's had one at Saints, one against Quinns, one on Boxing Day. That's three yellow cards in not a very long space of time. Yeah, We are now looking ahead towards the end of the season. We, obviously, we want to be involved in the big games. It's now looking like we've got a shot at being in some big games towards the end of the season where we want to be in. The question is that is going to be asked now, is, is he a liability? Is he is he worth the, the sort of... The, is he a gamble? Is he, is he not worth a gamble anymore? It's such, was, a, such a small tweak for him to make. For him to I be think it's worth still the quality player, and he is yeah. worth a gamble, I agree. Let's have a quick whiz through some of the other moments in the game, though, just very quickly. Obviously, they scored, I thought, a cracking, to be fair, first try, which was a shame and probably was symptomatic. And if you wanted to, uh, an example of our inaccuracy in a nutshell, it's Ford putting a pass onto Wells's ass. Wells being in the way. So between Ford and Wells, that is a cock-up. Randall pounces. Hell of a pickup, actually. Great acceleration. Avoids being obliterated by Namani. 
And then Fitz Harding, who I thought had a very fine game, promising player, um, finished really well. I thought that was really a good try by Bristol. We bounced back really well then with Moroni, uh, putting through a Lionel Messi touch for Nemani. Nemani scores with his Christmas turkey tummy. Um, I wonder if if that game had been before Christmas, if he'd have scored it. I think maybe a few of the mince pies maybe helped ground that ball. It was the right decision. It wasn't the ball, A, didn't go forward, and B, I don't actually think it left contact with his body. So absolutely fine try. But how skillful was that, A, by Moroni and B, by Namani? He's not just a big lump, is he? It's brilliant. I think you've got to look at the footballing skills of Moroni, those clever kicks he does. We've always said, even if a try doesn't come off the back of it, it creates something because it's so cleverly weighted, something comes off the back of it because it, it puts the defence which is what the name of the game and attack is. It disrupts the defensive system. So it was brilliantly well-rated. And I have to say, it's actually good speed for Nemani to get there because ultimately, when the kick gets made, Nemani's not running in a straight direction. He almost has to loop back round to make it, to yeah, get through yeah, the traffic. So to actually get there, it's actually good acceleration for Nemani to get the ball. Lovely, then bit of skill to, to, to bring it under control. First if it been me, If that had been me, it's going into the stand. I, I, can't, yeah, I can't control the ball with a grace of a 21 stone for G and winger. So it was a lovely bit of play just to control it. And I think you see the the, the, the beauty of having a guy like Namani with such big, big bucket hands and arms is he got to the ball, managed to get in front of the defender, scoop it, flop it down with the help of his old uh, Derby Kelly. So it was, yeah, it's a fantastic try. And I'm pleased for both Namani and Moroni for their involvements in it because, it, again, it's a good try, almost out of nothing, really. And Moroni got player of the game and he certainly had banks of the game. I don't know if me, he was player of the match, but he had a hell of a game again. And he, again, showed what a quality defensive operator he was. Some of the hits he put in on Randrandra. Actually, I think there were three times Randrandra got absolutely cannoned and it was by twice by Moroni and once by Porter, where then actually we rock over and Randrandra blatantly plays the ball on the ground, playing it back and again... Yeah, say the ref missed it, but hey, it happens. But how much of a defensive linchpin do you think Matthias is to this team? And how the fuck are we fitting in four centres who are all excellence at the moment? It is, it, it's a problem that's only going to get worse, really, because you've got to imagine on the four centres we've got, some are going to be on some fairly low salaries that are going to be justifying um, higher ones. So that's the challenge for, you know, for the next couple of years is to make sure we can try and keep the majority of them because, you know, they are quality players and you'd want to keep them and you want to have them in your squad rather than someone else's. When you come back to the point of the, those defensive units, when you look at Dan Kelly at 12 and Moroni at 13, you know, you're not going to get much spare change by running down their channel because if one doesn't get you, the other one will. And it's not just the actual hit that they make, it's the reading of the game as well, especially against a team like Bristol yeah. with so many different dummy runners and, you know, they are going to test you out wide and they are going to move you around and, see how organised your defence is, you know, they were very disciplined in defence and they made sure that actually Bristol's attacking game really didn't get going at all. If you look at the tries that Bristol scored, mainly comes from errors from ourselves and, you know, a little bit of good play from them. So, yeah, I think Kev will be pleased by that because if you look at the overall defensive um, system of the game, led by uh, Moroni and, and Kelly, they were brilliant. It was nice to see Moroni back in the side as well because he had a couple of weeks off after the uh, for the European games, he slotted back in and again throws his marker down for the starting jersey. So who knows who we're going to pick next week? Both of them great over the ball as well. It has to be said, which is another element to how good they are defensively. The other 
good Argentinian, very good Argentinian we have, of course, is our fantastic hooker, Montoya, who scored again off the back of a rolling ball. And I thought, actually, we've scored a lot of rolling ball tries over the last year or so. And I'd like to think that us and anyone listening would fancy themselves as being a bit of a connoisseur of a rolling ball now, having seen a lot of them and obviously grown up in the Neil Back era. I would put that right up there with being one of the best and most well-executed rolling ball tries I've seen, not just from Montoya, who at the back, at one point, it looks like he's going to get rolled into the Bristol defence, but then he redirects it. And that is Visa and Chesham, I believe, as well, who actually redirect themselves round to go and effectively provide that protection and identify the issue. It was just phenomenal play by the entire pack. And I thought that was super impressive. And I'll say it again, Montoya, I think, if he's not the best player in the world, he's certainly in the top three. It is. A, I, I agree with you. I think of the, of, certainly of this season, that's probably the best rolling ball try we scored because 15 metres out, it's a pretty tough ask. When the ball went to, into the I was like, oh, it's a long way out. It's a, tough, it's a tough job to get that over. And like you say, the patience, the, the wherewithal and the ability to sort of stay in. Because like you said, there is a split second where you go, oh, don't do that, don't do that. You're going to get caught because the bodies are about to pile in. Yeah, but he was very, exposed for a spec- second, wasn't he? It was a, just a split second, but he gets himself back in and he accelerates back through. What I loved about it is there was a mall before that on the halfway line where we chugged it forward 20, 30 metres. And exactly the sort of same principle where actually we were really disciplined and we we snapped it a bit and we went forward at speed and then they got amongst us again and we stayed patient and we, we worked it through. Exactly the same thing happened in the 22. And I think that's it's one thing to do it on the halfway line when there's no sort of, there's no white line fever and you're just trying to build yourself forward. And fair enough, there was an unbelievable mall where we had them on toast on. But to do it in the, the, the context of a 22, when you're behind in the game, you need to score the try and you get a bit of white line fever, just to stay in and, and manoeuvre yourself. I thought it was brilliantly well executed. And I think, I think they'll take a lot of heart from that one because, you know, they shunted that forward quite, quite well. So there's a lot of talk about Gloucester's rolling ball and it is a very good rolling ball. I yeah, still albeit think, they will wave through Matador style. Yeah, I thought you said it, yeah. Just a quick, quick on Bath. If I was a Bath fan, I'd be so disheartened by Stuart Hooper's end of game interview where he said, yeah, we identified the Gloucester rolling ball as being one of the most dangerous in the league. Right. So you identified it, which means that your ball defence was like you either chose to do nothing about it or you did choose to do something about it and this was the best you could do. Yeah. But, I mean, there's one bit where Tom Dunn is looking at this ball motoring towards his line and I can only describe him sort of like he's gently waving his hand sort of caressing the side of it rather than getting his fucking head in it's ridiculous and then another time he was one against seven where he actually did make the tackle and then he yeah. had seven seven Gloucester players just charging through it I it's a nice reminder I think of our role in all abilities because we've added so much to our game now if you look if you look at it last season we'd have said we're the best rolling mall team in the league. So that's, that was that was effectively our main attacking threat. And that was understandable given the circumstances and the context of what we were doing. This season, could we have added so much more to our game and we're, we're focusing in other areas? We're scoring tries in a lot more different places now and we're not totally as reliant on the rolling mall. But I do think it was a nice reminder to not just ourselves, but to the rest of the league, just to say, look, you know, we've still got it and we can still do it because that was a brilliantly executed try. So I think... At least it puts things in the minds now of opposition teams to go, actually, if Tigers do get something 10, 15 yards out, 
they they could still score it because they pushed Bristol. They pretty flew over the, the line in the end. Lineout was a pretty good battle, actually. I think both sides were pretty solid in the lineout. To be fair, um, and what is interesting from my perspective is seeing George Martin over the last few weeks being used a lot more in that lineup. Charlie Morgan said, "Look, he was used very regularly in his first game; has barely been used since, and now we're seeing him almost the go-to guy." And I thought he was superb. One throw to Wigglesworth was a little bit dodgy aside, but I have to say, from my perspective. And we know I'm biased because this is the George Martin fan cast. I thought he was fucking superb for me. I think he was up there with player of the game. Some of his carries, we talk about his defence a lot, and he was still folding people. He was still banging blokes and stopping people on the game line. But some of his carries in traffic were fucking enormous. If you look at the start of that move that led to the try at the end, he's at number eight, not a familiar position for him, and he picks up and he gets into the 10 channel gets round his opposite flank and gets through him and straight into Sheedy. And he makes about five, 10 metres off the back of that scrum. I thought he was absolutely magnificent again. He really is. And he's he's turning into such a good all-round player. Um, he was absolutely fantastic. And again, you talk about, it's almost like a broken record, but his all-round game's good. Like, yeah, across the board, you can see, it's what is great when you look at the Tigers team and the Tigers squad is when you see the hard work that they obviously do on the training ground playoff, because you see it week on week, the improvement of not just their, their core st- skills that they do, but the other bits and pieces that they're adding to the game. So like, like you say, we all know that George Martin's going to fold people for fun, but now he's carrying well. Now he's picking off a scrum and, and, and carrying well. You know, he's got a couple of nice... Now he's a go-to in the line-out as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all these little fixtures and fittings. So I think he's a... Yeah, I've, I mean... I think he's in contention for an England, England spot again because I think he'd be deserved it. Because if you look at it again, he'd play at um, at Tigers in the sixth shirt. I think he's he's you know he's, he's definitely fitting. And the biggest compliment I can give him is that we're not missing Hanro. Hanro is one of our most consistent players, yeah. one of our most important players. Yet he's out injured, and we're not feeling any sort of. Um, unfortunate benefits of it so yeah it, uh, that's testament to the to the work that he does what the only question i've i wonder is does he see himself as a second row or as a flanker i i personally think he'll be which i can see him full-time as a as a blindside flanker i think that would be ultimately where his future uh sits at because of his look at what he's been doing in the sixth shirt he's turned to a really exciting flanker i think that would actually suit him a lot better than moving forward that's just a personal um opinion <laughs> As long as he's in the side, I don't think you're going to worry too much, are you? No, you've won him in the team, no matter where, whichever position you play. But oh, yeah, quite right. Well, look, let's wrap it up. Let's just have, I'd say, a quick summary of our our game. I thought actually, if you took away that last three minutes, we didn't play particularly well. We were a bit rusty, we were lethargic and a bit slow. But more importantly, we found a way to win. For Bristol, let's take away our opinions of Pat Lamb for a second and look at Bristol as a side who are an exciting side, a good side. And it was a great crowd at Ashton Gate. I've got full respect for them singing, he's coming home, he's coming home, Genji's coming home. As galling as that was to listen to, fair play. That's fair banter as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for them, whilst it wasn't the win they might have been hoping to springboard their season, I think it's probably fair to say that, look, that was much more of a return to basics, which we've been saying that Pat Lamb should be looking to do. And, still retaining their excitement and they can still cause teams problems this season. But whether or not they've left it too late to make a run for the playoffs or not, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think they'll 
if you look at their defensive work, their de- defensive squeeze that they their did. defence was great. I think that was a superb defence because it, it was so organised all the way through and it forced a lot of errors and it d- really didn't give us a lot of time to, to settle. So if you're making someone like Ford look a bit unsettled, you're certainly going to make a lot of other 10s across the league look fairly average and put them into trouble. So their defensive work, I think, is a real good base for them to work through. I think they'll be a bit disappointed they didn't really get their attacking game going and that there were bits. Yeah, it was um, mainly counters where they threatened us, wasn't it? Yeah, so but again, I think that comes down to our good defence. So I don't think you can you can say too much about that. Ugo picked up on commentary. There'd be about how much they were not letting, uh, they weren't blocking the, the traffic coming through from the kick. So they might want to look at that and say, actually, that could cost us in future games. I think Bristol, a team where they looked what they are. I think they're a team struggling with confidence, struggling with a bit of identity. And that's maybe why they didn't see the game out in the end, because they, they just didn't have that swagger and confidence that they might have had last year to know what they're doing to see the game out. And they maybe doubted themselves or for, overthought it a little bit. Last year, I think they probably would have seen that game out. This year, they, 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 they didn't. I think they'd probably be a mid-table side. And I think their performance on Boxing Day probably showed that where they did some good stuff, also did some bad stuff, could have won it, didn't win it, ended up on the wrong side of it on a close one. That's probably where most mid-table sides end up being if you look at it against a top side like us. So, yeah, I think they'll be. I think they'll probably be about sixth. I think they'll start picking up some runs. I think they'll have a better second half than they did first half. Yeah, they're not far away from getting a few wins, I think, if they play like that and they will cause teams a lot of problems. And I hope that they do take it back to basics and build it back because they will be dangerous again. That being said, all that being said, and our very fair assessment of Bristol, fucking nice to get one over on Pat Lamb, eh? <laughs> oh, Papa fucking Pat. Papa oh. Lamb. Don't yeah. like Pat. Absolutely, yes. It was. It. I think all of us would have hated losing purely because the camera at some point would have panned to Pat Lamb and his smug face and all of us would have just vomited all over the, the sofa. Thankfully... We didn't lose. So it was nice. I think to me now, the rivalry with Bristol is almost over now because they, they put one us over with Scrum Gate and all the shenanigans that happened there. I know in recent history with the Genge video as well, it's probably added to it. We've beaten them in the last minute. We maybe got away with an obstruction in midfield. I'm not particularly fussed about it, but you know, it could, it could, they could cite that. It's one all in the car mistakes. You know, we're all, we're all friends here. Job done. All right, well, now join us in Santa's sack of goodies as we empty ourselves down the chimney of Rugby Norse and discuss, in a fairly disgusting analogy, I'm sorry about that, uh, Elliot's cold corner. Santa's grotty grotto. (laughs) Yeah, welcome to the grotty grotto, Elliot's grotty grotto, where we're going to discuss who is the winner of the 13 shirt. A week delayed, of course, because if you're... Frankly, unacceptable absence on honeymoon last week. Yeah, I know. That's fairly selfish, that, to be fair. Who have we got, mate? So we had, for the 13 shirts, three rather excellent candidates. We had Matt Smith, which was your choice, Peter Beefham, my choice, and Glenn Gelderbloom, which was the people's choice. As it goes, it ended up being an absolute demolition job for one person. And I thought this would be a fairly close-run thing. However, Matt Smith was far and away the the winner. He was 71% of the votes. Peter Beefham ringing up the line of 23% and Glenn Gelderbloom with 6%, which makes me leave, makes me think of two things. 
A, Matt Smith is the deserved choice and the people did uh, back him. Or secondly, you've got that many burner accounts that you've been using to get Matt Smith up there. But it, it, it's got silly levels. But yeah, if it was 71% with uh, however, over 150 votes. You already know I've got about three burner accounts. I've got one which I used to uh, basically unload a fairly punchy opinion uh, back on someone which we discussed off air. And it may or may not have referred to a certain club having a sugar daddy. And one tip I will tell anyone on Twitter, never, ever put a tweet out with the word sugar daddy in, because I assume that there's auto recognition software of a large collection of perverts who will suddenly tweet you back to say, I can be your sugar daddy. I can financially spoil you. DM me nudes now. And I've been inundated with those ever since. So there you go, bought it on myself. I tweeted the word sugar daddy whilst getting angry with someone on another account. And I've been reaping the, well, I say rewards for it uh, ever since. Uh, it, it, that said, if you do want to be financially spoiled in exchange for uh, you know, selling your dignity, then that's the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a public service announcement, that is, for both good and for bad. Career yeah. advisory service here as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Smithy, 71%. To be fair, I was more of a, when I set up Court Corner, he was again one of the people I had in mind yeah. to uh, to fulfil the uh, requirements. So I'm more than happy to uh, have him in the team. No, that's a great shout. Now, where are we moving next? So we've now completed the midfield. It's now off to the wingers. So we, let's start with the left wing. So number eleven shirt. Uh, because of the uh, the extended break, we've got our bit out of kilter. So we do need some help and assistance. So to everyone listening, please can you fire across suggestions for left wing and get them over to us and let's see if we can uh, find someone to uh, to inductee for the 11 shirt absolutely so what we will do is obviously we're going to vet the options that we get to see whether or not they played left or right wing predominantly I know that sometimes they're interchangeable but I think a lot of wingers will be at pains to tell you that they are very different positions and so it'll be interesting to see who we can fit in where. But there are some big names that are jumping out in my mind straight away. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see where we where it ends up being. But um, it's a uh, it's a position where we've had a lot of players coming through. I've got a couple in my mind as well. So, yeah, I'm excited to see who um, who gets suggested. And, um, yeah, fire them across at the Rolling Mall Pod on Twitter and um, we'll pick them up from there. Absolutely. Elliot will put us a shout out. Look out for that and get in touch. Why, hey, man, let's look forward then to the game on New Year's Day. Am I right? Here's New Year's Day, isn't it? Day after, it's second. Second, second of January. Second of January, big bomb. Uh, and it's at Welford Road. It's against Newcastle Falcons. Dino's coming home and he's bringing with him his motley crew of Falcons who are playing pretty well this season, I think, are going to present a pretty good test. Yeah, if you look at their sort of form, you know, played nine, I've got the table in front of me. They've played nine, won four, lost four, drawn one with 20 points. It's They are a mid-table side, you know. But we always know with a Newcastle team under Dino that they come up organised, they're well-drilled, they're competitive, they're not going to roll over, they're going to give you a game for 80 minutes and if to, to win, you've got to work hard for it. So it's a, a game. It's not going to be an easy game, but we're at home and we've got a full complement of internationals to, to choose from if we so decide. So, yeah, I, it's going to be an interesting game, but I think I'm I'm going into it confident. Well, I think it would be a bit weird going into a game with 
having a hundred percent record, going a bit nervous. I've got to be honest, but um, yeah, yeah I'm looking forward. Newcastle to it. definitely fall into that banana skin, and I mean that in a realistic sense, not they just are. oh, you talk about a team that isn't you know up there in the table, and you say oh, that's a banana skin, but you know full well you're going to beat them. We should beat them at home, but I think what Newcastle have is that X factor with it as well, where they can turn it on and they have the players to do that. You and I have effectively got into a praise circle before about Adam Radwan. What an exciting player he is. Quickest player in England, I think, possibly the quickest in Europe. I'd love to see a foot race between him and Louis uh, Louis Samet. But I think that he is one of the most electric finishers in the league, and not just a finisher, but any broken field whatsoever. They've also got Mike Brown, still a superb operator around. And the guy who I really rate, he looks like a Weatherspoon's doorman, but Carl Ferns, might be the hardest looking bloke in the premiership and he is fucking tough as well. Hell of a carrier. So they've got plenty of meat and plenty of razzle dazzle outside. Yeah, they are a bit nails. And it's a, it's funny because if you look at the games last season, the game in the league was actually quite entertaining before the game had even kicked off with Genji in there um, on his opposite number, having a square. Oh, set yeah. The, forgot about having that. a set two on the, the, the touchline. I mean, that's quite entertaining in its own, in its own right. So, if the two players do get picked again, it'd be quite nice to see if uh, a bit of extra spice is added to it. So, I think yeah, their I'll... chap might have retired, but I think, if I remember rightly, he actually got injured by Visa doing a side entry. It was a, it was when I say a legal side entry, he, he was he had his arms bound, but he was coming in from the side, and he effectively, I think, fucked up the guy's shoulder. So, I wonder if they might be coming with a bit of spice to this one, and rightly so, if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be intriguing to see um, how it goes. The, the the second game that we played them in the in the cup, Tigers effectively um, put out a, a pack that had a few changes to it, and it wasn't necessarily the strongest team available. The lads that got picked had the, had them on toast up front and actually really set a platform for for us to win through forward dominance and was pretty dominant all the way through. That's the Challenge Cup last year. It was, about. yeah, yeah. We were a bit scratchy in the league game. In, in the Challenge Cup game, we were um, more fluent in the pack and, and we were well-deserved um, winners of the game. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes because, yeah, as I, I the, the league game last season is how I think most games against Newcastle end up being, which is a bit of a scrap, a bit of, a, um, a bit of an arm wrestle when you've got to work really, really hard to be, A, out-physical them and that, secondly, out-work them. So intrigued to see how, how it's going to end up. But I'm intrigued also to see what's seeing me we select, I mean, considering we've now got so many quality players at our disposal, you could pick any 15 or 23 out of them and you'd back all 23 to do it, go out and do a job for us. So considering they made a couple of changes for, we made a few, fair few changes for um, European games. We made some changes back for the Bristol game, looking ahead to the games coming up. So yeah, it's intrigued to see what team selection he goes for. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Newcastle are prepped for this game. A bit like with Bristol, they'd had two cancellations on the bounce. They'd had three weeks off coming into it. And I thought we did look more tired, more lethargic than they did. And they look quite fresh. Now, Newcastle have had even longer off. They last played on... Hang on, let me just get my numbers up. They last played on the 10th of December in the European Challenge Cup when they beat Worcester... 31-26. 31-26. So I don't think they have any COVID cases. I think all the COVID cases were for sale for that postponement. So hopefully they will still be playing. But it does mean, again, 
that they are going to have effectively had three weeks off by the time that we come to play them. We'd have gone back to back for a very long time now. So let's have a think about that. Is that going to affect us? And how do you see that affecting? Uh, how do you see that benefiting either side? It's one of those where four, three or four weeks off can work in your favour or against you because one, you have it works in your favour because you have the benefits of, of freshness. You allow tired bodies some extended time off and, and get them uh, freshened up to go straight back into it. Or secondly, it works against you because you end up being a bit rusty. You lose your match sharpness, your match readiness, and it's almost having to start again when you do get to play. So it works. It can work against you or for you. So that would be interesting to see which side of the coin that that plays out. I think in terms of our um, selection, I think you've got to look at, you know, we have had some tough games, the, the last three, especially back-to-back. Well, last four, if you think about it, Quinns, back-to-back in Europe, then at, away at Bristol. That's a pretty hefty four weeks we've had. So I think you've just got to take a view on what players are, are, are sharp, what players are still standing, and um, and pick accordingly. If you've got anyone that's got any sort of question marks over them, I don't think it's worth a gamble on putting them in. We've got enough squad options to utilise that... Um, yeah, if if you if we're not sure about someone, just take them out. There's enough enough players that, have, that can do a job for us. How can you see us playing this one? Because I think that Newcastle are a tough team, but I think they can be squeezed. And I think we did that last year, as you said. And I think that we can potentially bludgeon them a little bit in the tight. I say that <laughs> most teams now, but I would say something different if we were playing Saracens, for example. But I do think that this is a team again that we might want to look at squeezing them. Do you see it the same way? Yes, I think in a simple answer, yes. We ended up getting Falcons down to uncontested scrums in the in the Challenge Cup game. Oh yeah, we we got them on the run that much. So I think yeah, I think you've got to squeeze them. Work on your basics first. Squeeze. Use your forward pack. Get yourself some good field position. Trust your set piece. And I think I think we could see a a rolling wall try. I think that certainly could be something that that happens because I think we'll we'll end up kicking to the corner a bit and, you, and backing ourselves in that option. So yeah, captain, your Leicester Tigers hooker if you're on the Premiership Fantasy League game. There you go. That's my tip for every week, effectively, because I captain Montoya. Well, I should have captain Don Blanks. He got a hat trick. Mate, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But yeah, I'd, I'd go. I'd back the forwards and then use that as your sort of basis of a game plan and pick up bits and pieces off the back of it. I don't think you want to be too loose with someone like Radwan waiting in the wings. No, exactly. What sort of side are you looking to put out? Are you still looking to go full noise or a little bit of rotation again? What guys are you hoping to see get game time either starting or on the bench? I think you'd make some subtle changes from the team that's played against Bristol. I think Van Staden went off with a, a pretty hefty head knock, so I'd expect yeah. him not to, to feature... Jasper maybe to start, Tommy at seven, a toss-up then between someone like Chesham or Martin at six. Yeah, I, I don't expect wholesale changes. You could maybe see Dolly come back to start, maybe Sal Mackie back in on the wing, potentially. I think he'll keep it relatively tight off that 23. He'll just make some subtle changes based on injury. Um, what about yourself? Well, there are some guys who I'd quite like to see. So I'd, I think I'd like to see... Firstly, Genge and Montoya still start. Probably Hayes start again with That's Cole fair. off the bench because I love the impact of Cole coming off the bench. He suddenly has developed the ability to become an impact sub, which you would never have put on him before. Bomb squad. Bomb squad, pork pie squad, wasn't it? <laughs> which I quite like. Uh, I'd also like to see James Whitcomb on the bench as well. Let's be yeah, honest, if Genji's leaving, I'd quite like to see him coming on uh, at loose head. 
it's a bit harsh on on uh, Nephi because he's been so good over the last few weeks, but particularly off the bench, I think he really is a, an ideal bench player. But you know, I think that's effectively how competitive our squad is now. Dolly, I agree, uh, is still on the bench. I'd like to see Chesham start. I just think his progression is so good that he's one of those guys I'm now so excited to see him play every game. So I think I'm going to see an improvement every time. So I'd like to see Chesham start. And again, I think there's that back row now of Martin, Rafael and Visa, which is actually becoming quite settled. And that might be quite a nice thing to keep together. Other than that, I'd like to see Van Portfleet get a game, probably Matt Scott as well. And I'll tell you who I really would like to see play is Murray Murivali. He's a quality player. And he's just not playing at the moment. And I'm worried that I'm sure he is pissed off at not playing. I think he's good enough. And every time he's come on, he's looked superb. Against Northampton, he did the lesser spotted double handoff in one motion. I haven't seen that before. And so I'd love to see Murumuvalu on one wing, perhaps giving Potter a break or even Namani, but possibly Potter, because I think uh, obviously Namani had a couple of weeks off before. So have the all Fijian wing combination would be quite exciting. Yeah, I, I, I get I, I get that. I think without being disrespectful to Falcons, this is a game where I think you can make a few changes. And it's, to be honest, I back our squad against anyone, to be honest. So I think you make as many changes as you want. And as we'd still put out a quality performance. But I do think this is a game where, like you say, you want to bring some youngsters into the side. This is the sort of game, like you say, Jack, Jack Van Portfleet, Whitcomb, Chesham. You'd like to see him in the rounds and, and getting game time in this. What's your prediction then? Where is it going to be won? Where is it going to be lost? What's the score going to be? One up front, I think Tigers pack, I think will be too strong for Falcons. I think it will take them a bit of time to grind them down, but I think you'll start seeing a bit of set piece and forward dominance that will earn us some penalties. I think Tigers by 10. Yeah. Did you notice, by the way, that again, I predicted Tigers to win against Bristol, even though I actually thought that was going to be the one we slip up for. And if ever you want an example of now supernatural things in play, that we will win whenever I predict we win, then surely Boxing Day has to be an example of that. Absolutely. It, 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 you can't not predict us to win now. Tigers by 12. We're not far off then. We're pretty, pretty similar. Tigers by 12. Done. And lo, the rolling mall doth cometh to the oh fuck it no that's the end of the pod uh we're in the outro and that's also the end of 2021 the year that promised to be better than 2020 and largely was just the same shit show um elliot what are your memories tigers racer from 2021 i suppose a redeeming success from another rise skid mark of a year yeah i mean if you take non-tiger stuff away it's been a pretty crap year but tiger's Stuff brilliant. I think in terms of highlights, getting to Twickenham final again for the Challenge Cup, I think that was brilliant. Even it ultimately it was it ended in defeat. Nice to be involved in the big games again and have that excitement of going to a final, especially with crowds being back as well. Um, you can't not mention the winning run we've been on. Um, you know, not lost a game since June. I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, I think the scene of the, the, the progression of the team. If you look at the youngsters that are coming through. And so exciting victories that we've had over that time. It just shows you where we've come. I think if you look at the 12-month progression that's that's been happening, it makes me quite excited to see what happens in the next 12-month block because we achieved an awful lot in that time. So it'd be exciting to see what we can achieve moving forward. 
Absolutely. Right. Here's some quick fire questions. I'm just making up on the spot. Go on. Because we would usually probably do an official award ceremony, but A, I've been kept away from the Christmas turkey for too long now and I want to get back to it. And B, we've only been running this podcast for obviously the last four months of the year as opposed to uh, the first eight months of it. So it's going to be a bit high level, this quiz. Okay. So best win of 2021. Bordeaux away. Very nice. I'm saying Saints away. Yeah, I get that. It, I probably should have gone to Saints it was on my birthday, but Bordeaux away, given the context and the youngsters involved. I mean, just to that was an awesome feeling. I'm trying to work out Saris, Bristol, Bordeaux. We've had some good ones. Yeah, we've had some good ones. What about crappiest defeat of the year? Oh, just with how it all unfurled. Bristol at Bristol home. At home. <laughs> Bristol at home. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. It's a good job because we could say defeat of the season and we might be left with Scarlet's pre-season if that counts. But no, <laughs> the very word pre-season says it's before the season. So anyway, um, yeah, Bristol at home, saltiest defeat. Uh, villain of the year? Pat Lamb. Pat Lamb. Papa Lamb is the villain of the year. Player of the year, 2021. Freddie Stewart. Uh, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to throw out, even though he's been injured for the last month, Henry Liebenberg. Yeah, it's a great show. Either or. Breakthrough of the year 2021. Ollie Chesham. Seconded. You could also make a case with Stewart, though, as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you had so many youngsters. I mean, JVP, George Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Chesham, Hayes. I think Chesham for, for the genuine... Dolly, like, Dolly. Do, Nick, yeah, okay, you take Chesham, I'll take Nick Dolly. Because the only person that matches Chesham for... Where the fuck has he come from? <laughs> I, is is Dolly, that's insane. What a story that is as well. Uh, moment of the year. Oh. Oh, that's hard. I guess Jack Van Portfleet went in a way to put 50 on Saints. I think that's a great moment when he just dives over and you go, holy shit balls, we've just put 50 points away at the Gardens. That's just insane. Very good, very good. Guy Porter scoring the 84th minute at Ashton Gates two oh, days that, ago. Oh, cliche. That's too cliche. I'll tell you what, I think it's quite niche. That is a bit niche. The, um, the Freddie Stewart try against Exeter after that passage of play where we'd had like 20 phases where we'd gone from left oh, yeah. to right and it was, we'd gone... You know, we're a bit of excitement of the new season. We're not sure how it's going to go. And up and at them, and that aggressive play where we absolutely dominated them. And Stewart goes over and the roar of the crowd. That to me is brilliant. The other one is Namani absolutely power driving through the Exeter midfield five minutes later, where he just absolutely just flattens um, Joe Simmons. Poor so- Joe Simmons saying, Are we sure that? I'm marking the money. Uh, viewers, do you want to do it? No? Okay, Armand. Oh, it's me. Oh, it's me, is it? Right. Oh. Okay, cheers, lads. So, yeah, I think in terms of great moments, like the penalty try against Saris, the Bristol win, they're the quote, big quote, they're the quote of the year goes to Christoph Ridley with his spot going, it's going to be a penalty try. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme in a, in a referee. <laughs> Okay, so we're saying, I'm saying moment of the year, I'm just riding off the wave of feeling good about it. Guy Porter, you're saying a whole litany of wonderful moments, which is absolutely fair enough. Hopefully 2022 brings the Tigers and brings all of you listening many more wonderful moments on and off the pitch. Happy New Year from both of us. Happy New Year. Have a good one. And we will see you in the New Year. Cheers, guys. 